The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good morning and welcome to Mentoring with Larry Sternberg. My guest today is Terry Pettit. Terry is one of the best coaches who has ever coached at the University of Nebraska. Under his leadership, the women's volleyball team won 21 Big 8 and Big 12 conference championships while leading the nation in both All-American and academic All-American selections. He earned National Coach of the Year honors on three different occasions and led the team to a national championship in 1995. As a director of leadership academies at the University of Denver and Colorado State University, Terry serves as a mentor coach to over 100 coaches, team captains, and emerging leaders. He also presents and conducts workshops on leadership and team building for some of the most progressive athletic departments and corporations in the country. Terry, it's an honor to have you on the show. Thank you, Larry. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. I want to start by asking you, do you see a difference between mentoring and coaching? Oh, there's, a, there's a, definitely a major difference. Um, uh, there, the, mentoring is kind of silent coaching uh, or invisible coaching. Um, one of the major differences, if you're coaching, let's say you're coaching at the high school level, um, you don't particularly have a choice on who you're coaching. So, uh, just like the math teacher, uh, there, there, are, there are maybe wonderful kids in the classroom, there be wonderful kids on a, on a football team, but there may be some kids that uh, either don't have much passion for it or interest in it, uh, but you have to find a way, uh, uh, in coaching in particular, with a scoreboard um, uh, to have some success. Mentoring is uh, a, a totally different relationship with the, the person you're working with. I, w- I would have to say, in a healthy mentoring relationship, you have to. I, I believe I have to like the person. I have to like the person's uh, sense of purpose, um, their sense of why they're doing what they're doing. I'm less concerned with um, where they're at in terms of their career than I am. Uh, their character, um, because um, mentoring is a is usually a, uh, can be a very long relationship, um, and your the, the mentor needs to get something out of it as well. And obviously, a coach gets something out of coaching uh, a team, but it's it's uh, not one person above the other person. No one's really in a in, a, in an authority role, it's uh, I see it as helping people uncover or discover things they may already know. Sometimes they've forgotten those things, 
or sometimes they may not be aware of certain talents they have. Um, so it's more of a it's it's definitely collaborative. Is one more satisfying for you than the other? Um, I don't I, I don't know that you can. I don't know that I can say that. Um, certainly, there's nothing like the rush that a coach gets from seeing a team work towards something and and then reach the goal. Uh, there's a tremendous rush you, that you get in seeing an athlete or a student do something they've never done before. But I would have to say the coaches that I mentor and the CEOs or, or, or management that I mentor, I get a very similar rush uh, um, or endorphins uh, when I see them do something that they haven't done, when I see them take a step. It's just, um, it's not as immediate. It, when you're watching an athletic competition, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. When you're mentoring someone, it's a, it's a, it's a process. And so it, it's usually for lo- a longer amount of time. And, um, uh, but if I'm working with um, uh, an athletic team at, uh, Missouri and that team has success that it's never had before or I see that the coach handles situations better um, it's it's very pleasing there's there's not the external recognition that you get from coaching coaching coaches are overpraised and over criticized they um, so I, I like that aspect of it but many of the people that I work with no one would really ever know that I was working with them have you ever declined to get into a mentoring relationship with someone? Yes. Um, sometimes an organization, I mean, I mean there's, I'll give you the two most common scenarios. And the first is, uh, is great. The first one is somebody comes to me, let's say, that has been very successful, but wants to go up one more level. And so they've won conference championships or regional championships, but they want to compete for a national championship. They want to become an even better coach. That, that's, a, that's a pretty exciting relationship. Um, occasionally an organization will come, not necessarily the coach or the CEO, will come and it's almost like, help us fix this person. Or, well, if we can show that we hired you, at least we can show this person we did everything possible. And I'm not really interested in that kind of situation um, because if I don't sense that the organization understands what mentoring is all about, um, mentoring is not fixing people. It, it, you may help mentor someone toward decisions that improve their coaching or their leadership, but... Um, in my opinion, an organization is much better off taking more time to get an extraordinary person in the first place, um, who then you can mentor, than it is trying to fix somebody who really doesn't have the talent or the character to do what they're doing. I absolutely will refuse and have refused from major 
organizations and universities to mentor someone that I believe does not have a, a good character. Interesting. You've been both a coach and a mentor, and is it is it the case that you became the mentor to some of your players during your time directly coaching? Uh, do you mean uh, when they when they were on the team that the relationship grew beyond the the coaching to become a mentor to some of those players? Yes, um, in the beginning. Let's say that you have a quarterback or a point guard on a basketball team or a setter on a volleyball team. In the beginning, you're managing that person. Unless they have a unique history and experience, you are, the relationship tends to to be one-sided. So you're saying, okay, in this rotation, here's your first option, here's your second option, and the next rotation, I want you to set this person primarily, then this person. And you don't want to stay there too long. Um, the, the next step is coaching, which means helping them to understand situations so that they can make the right decision, uh, so they can look out there on the court. So you might say, all right, we're going to run this offense, and uh, you need to notice where the best blocker on this team is, and we're going to run plays away from her so she really can't get involved in, in the defense by the opponent. The stage beyond that, where you, where you would like to see everybody advance to, is, is collaboration. And that means that they've taken responsibility for their own development. They are on the court so they can see and feel some things you can't. So in a timeout uh, with a setter, with an experienced setter, before I say anything, I'm more likely to say, what, what do you see is going on out there? Um, or I'll ask her, um, how, do you, how do you feel uh, uh, Jenny Jones is right now? Because she'll have a better feeling than I will about where that person's at, whether that person's confident or doesn't have confidence. Um, through the years, I've called former players uh, Karen Karen Dahlgren, who's now Karen Schoenweis, was National Player of the Year in 1986, and uh, she was an ex- extraordinary middle blocker. But I've called her through the years and asked her about blocking, even though I'm the one who taught her, because it's um, you know it's like you might help someone learn how to fly a plane, but that person's flown a plane in combat. And she's going to have insights into the situation uh, to complement mine. Not everybody gets to that point. You know, there are some people in some aspects of their performance you still have to manage. There are, uh, you might have to manage part, uh, let's say you're, you're working with an assistant coach, and there's an area of the game that they don't understand. Let's say that they don't, they don't have much background in recruiting. So initially, I might have to manage that person, but they might be a wonderful teacher on defensive floor skills. And in that situation, um, I'm, I'm collaborative or even you take responsibility to, uh, for this and we'll meet every week and talk about it 
and I may have a suggestion or two, but but you're the person who's going to handle this. So it's um, it's I, I guess with every individual, I try to adjust my relationship based on their experience, their insight, their talent. Do you still stay in touch with some of the women who played for you, say, 20 years ago? Oh, yes, yes, and some of them on a regular basis. Uh, uh, Christy Johnson Lynch is the head coach at um, Iowa State. Um, Kirsten Bernthal didn't play for me, but she was a teammate of my daughter's at Lincoln East, and she's the head coach at Creighton University. Uh, Val Novak, who was a tremendous setter for us, is down in Texas, and I and um, I would say she contacts me once every ten or twelve days. And sometimes it's just to say hello. Sometimes it's just how are you, Lori Endicott, who was um, the best setter in the world at the Barcelona Olympics, is in Southern Missouri and coaching and. She'll make frequent contact, and now with social media, I doubt if there's if there's a day goes by that there isn't some type of interaction on Twitter or Facebook or something like that with former players. That must must be immensely rewarding. Uh, uh, it certainly is, uh, despite all the, the the negative things that can happen on those. Uh, it's immensely re- rewarding to. Uh, interact, be able to interact very easily with um, somebody that's a a long distance away. And uh, it's fun to see what they're doing. It's fun to see how they're doing it. Um, So some of them I continue to mentor. Some of them are head coaches. And and I'm in in a professional mentoring relationship with them. But anybody who played for Nebraska Volleyball, if they call and want help, on anything or just want to bounce something off, I'm thrilled to death to give them whatever I've got. What a a great affirmation to your players that they can, that they know that they can call on you uh, for help whenever they need it. That, that's a, that's a great deposit in someone's emotional bank account. I can tell you. Well, it's, they, they, you know, they did so much, and that if you're on a healthy team in a in a healthy culture, there's no reason that relationship shouldn't continue. Um, and some of them are more remote than others, or some of them aren't on social media. But we we have reunions of the '86 team and the '96 team coming up here in a couple weeks, and. Uh, they'll come back. Some of them from Hawaii. Some of them from New York. They'll they'll be there. And uh, and until you've been on a team that has taken those kind of risks and and um, uh, done what what they did, you know, they, Nebraska provided a, a tremendous opportunity for them. Um, so that they 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 really care for each other and the interesting thing about it to me is that um, when you coach as long as I did they didn't all play for the same person Um, you know the person that was there his last five years um, had many things in common with the person who was there his first five but he probably was a better coach 
than the first five. The first five or six years, he, he was probably wondering if anybody's going to figure out he didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> uh, but by the, uh, you know, after refining your craft, after developing a philosophy of what you want to have happen, after um, understanding uh, a, a sense of purpose and building that into the culture, by the end, um, that's that's a different person. Uh, uh, you know, a person in their mid fifties is is different than somebody that's thirty. Yeah, that's. That's a terrific insight. I want to hear more about that. We're about to go to commercial. And when we come back, I'm going to ask Terry to talk about a healthy team and talk about his growth as a coach and a mentor. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. When people are making a significant impact, they're engaged, motivated, and excited. They love what they do. When those people work for you, you get results. Results matter, and people drive results. But how do you recognize those people? At Talent Plus, we've assessed millions of people over decades using our rigorous science to predict successful on-the-job performance and cultural fit with an organization's mission, vision, and values. Our online assessments and person-to-person interviews not only identify talents, but uncover a roadmap for success from a person's first day on the job to the day they retire. When people celebrate their talents, use them daily, and think about how to lead with their strengths, they help their companies grow, produce, and innovate. Want to learn more about empowering your people to help you do great things? Visit us today at www.talentplus.com. Talent Plus, where science meets talent, where people drive results. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Welcome back. I'm here with Terry Pettit talking about coaching and mentoring. Before we went on break, Terry mentioned being a member of a healthy team. So, Terry, what are the elements of a healthy team? I, I think it, you know, one of the buzzwords that you hear is culture. What, what does culture mean? Um, it's based on what you value, what, what, um, what values you absolutely will not corrupt or, or make corrupt decisions with. And you have to make those things before you get into situations where um, you know, you you might not hold yourself to that. Uh, so you have to have a, a strong sense of purpose. What is this about? Uh, Nebraska volleyball's first purpose statement was, um, "I want to create an environment that is so dynamic, so athletic, so beautiful that if another." extraordinary athlete walks into the building, she will want to join the group. So in some ways it was evangelical. It was that's it, it was really focused on the joy of sport. As 
I evolved and the program evolved, then my sense of purpose changed. And that was I, I really want to provide an environment that creates healthy, independent women. And the changes might not seem dramatic, but it might mean not solving uh, or attempting to, to solve certain challenges. It, uh, it, um, it might mean uh, not recruiting some athletes that were tremendous athletes, but I, I didn't think fit that culture. Um, I did as much as I possibly could, or my staff and I did as much as, as we possibly could, to let someone know what they were getting into. And, one of the, for example, one of the things I used to say to a recruit when, when they visited campus is that, you know, to be successful here, you're going to have to be uncomfortable because from the day you arrive until the day you leave, um, the coaching staff is going to be holding the carrot further out in front of you. Uh, it's, it's, like, um, it's like going into the weight room and lifting weights. If you're doing it right... It never gets easy because you keep increasing the weight. And if you're coaching right, um, the player is is continually challenged and developing uh, through the four years. Some people would hear that and they would want out before you know they they had a nice trip to Lincoln, but that wasn't what they were about. Um, but generally speaking, because we, we recruited heavily in Nebraska and Iowa and Minnesota, uh, the culture of Nebraska volleyball had some similarities with that culture. It was a, a welcoming culture, uh, a culture where people had to work hard, particularly ranchers and farmers, to make a living. And we had several players come from small towns in Nebraska. Um, so they had um, they had already taken care of themselves. They um, a little bit different than the culture you hear about today, um, where where parents are more likely to say, "Look, you've you've got a job in becoming a better volleyball player. I'll, I'll do this for you," or "You really don't have to have a summer job." Or um, that wasn't the case. And so, if it came down to two players recruiting two players and one and they were and their talent was equal um, then I would choose the player that had to to uh, make themselves the most uncomfortable to put themselves in that position and uh, sometimes that's hard to assess but if you have a chance to meet the family and, and see how a potential recruit interacts with the with the family. I mean, if if somebody didn't treat their parents well, they we we checked them off the list. If um, if if somebody, um, uh, well, you can imagine it would be a whole list of things that that you'd look for. Uh, so the the athletic talent is obvious, whether it's size or quickness or arm speed. Yeah, but but assessing somebody's willingness to be uncomfortable. Is um, it takes some work to do. First of all, you have to see them in situations where they're not succeeding, and um, sometimes their kids are so good in high school or so dominant, you never see that. 
So you may have to go to a practice or you, you might have to do something else or talk to a guidance counselor. But if uh, I used to say to the players, if you tell me how uncomfortable you're willing to be in pursuit of whatever your goal is, I'll, I'll tell you how good you can be. Because uh, we, we, my philosophy was at that time different dramatically than other coaches. Uh, I was less interested in recruiting skill than I was talent. And I, I believed that we could train skill, but I never recruited anybody I didn't think could play at an all-American level. That doesn't mean that they did, but of the 80 or so players that I recruited and came to Nebraska during my tenure as head coach, a third of them became All-Americans, a third of them became great players, and a third of them never became significant players. And I think the typical coach at that time who was not going after people that were extraordinary athletes uh, wouldn't have nearly the number of All-American level players. Uh, they, they would recruit players that were pretty good right off, but uh, would peak by the end of their sophomore year. The thing that pleases me most about what our coaching staff did is that if somebody was a senior, they were good. They were really good. I mean, they got better each year. And um, that, that tells me that they were continuing to develop, that as a coaching staff, we did our job. How would you characterize the difference between skill and talent? Well, this, that's a, there, there's a little bit of um, fuzziness in that distinction. Um, but talent, um, skill is something that you can learn. And so you can teach anybody to answer the phone politely. Um, and you can say, here's what I want you to say when someone calls. Here's how I'd like you to interact with them. But we've all been around an extraordinary receptionist. We've all been around a clerk in a store that was um, naturally welcoming. Um, so let's say I think I can teach anybody or most people to set a volleyball. It's much harder to teach them to get to the ball. Setting a volleyball is getting the hands in the right position and thousands and thousands of repetitions. But getting to the ball in time so that you're balanced when you arrive depends on um, physical stature, depends on posture, depends on loading the hips, depends on the size of the steps, depends on court awareness, depends on imagination. Um, so... The di and then the, the other thing that separates them is puberty and early childhood. So we all probably have pretty good potential in learning foreign languages when we're very young. Um, we all have potential in learning to hit a curveball um, when we're 12, 13. We all have potential to learn how to throw a baseball when we're young. But once you get on the other side of puberty, those things are very, very difficult. 
For example, I've never seen a, a college basketball player, someone come in who was a poor shooter in high school basketball that became a great shooter in college. That's, that skill, that talent has to develop prior to puberty. Uh, the same thing with throwing a softball. The, the, the movement, if, if, if somebody's taught correctly how to throw, everybody can learn to throw a ball. Now, there's always going to be some people that have, just because of their physique and leverage, um, you look at Michael Phelps, the guy was built for the butterfly. I mean, his, his arms are much longer, his shoulders are much wider than the rest of his body. Yeah. So that's talent. He was, that there's a talent that he was given, but he also trained hundreds and thousands of hours. So it's, it's always a combination. One of the things that impacts the development of talent or skill is the brain. And at about puberty, the brain starts pruning uh, certain circuits that haven't been used. And so, uh, for example, a curveball uh, in baseball. Michael Jordan may have been the best athlete of the 20th century. And you remember he took a hiatus from basketball and, and uh, played... Uh, minor league baseball in Birmingham, Alabama. I do and remember that. He had he had tremendous arm speed so he could throw the ball. He had tremendous bat speed. No one worked harder than he did to do it. Uh, but the judgment was of the of the scouts and people who watched him was he could if he continued working at it for the next two years into his early thirties, he could be a good major league ball player, a role player, but he was never going to be a tremendous hitter because if you haven't hit a curveball by a certain age, you're never going to hit the curveball. And here's why. Or let me give you another example. There was a, a great pitcher, Jenny Finch, from the University of Texas who pitched in the Olympics. A few years ago, she pitched, she went to the All-Star game and pitched against the best hitters in baseball, pitched a softball. None of them could hit her. <laughs> so now uh, collegiate softball players could. None of them could hit her. Why do you think that was? Well, based on what you're saying is it didn't get developed before puberty. Well, well it, the difference is the release point for a, for a baseball is deliver, is different than the release point of a softball. A softball, you're windmilling the ball and coming. The ball is actually coming from about from about the knees. With a baseball, it's coming in above the shoulder. And you would think, well, I should be able to pick up on that. I should be able to adjust that. I've got the bat speed. I've seen people that throw her softball from where she was throwing from at a. At a at a, an official softball distance was the equivalent about a, of about a 94-mile-an-hour fastball. In the major leagues, there are 100-mile-an-hour fastballs. So it wasn't the speed. It was the brain could not make the adjustment. I'll, I'll give you another example that from my own childhood. We used to play hide-and-seek every night, you know. 
after we played baseball all day. And one of the things I learned was that the person that was the the person that was counting to ten while anybody ran off would stand on the porch and everybody else would head off to the neighborhood. And if you could get in before that person got back to the porch and name you, you were safe. And inevitably, when I would go, instead of running off, I would just go lay down on the ground 15 or 20 feet from the porch. I would never be seen because the person wasn't prepared to see that a person there. They were assuming, their brain assumed, everybody is hiding. So I'm completely out in the open. There's nothing, I'm not behind a tree, just lying on the ground. Um, I think the same thing is the reason that uh, the 9-11 attacks were successful. They, they, they planned an attack that was totally different from what uh, certainly the U.S. American citizen never considered. None of us considered that people would blow themselves up uh, for a cause really much before 9-11. So um, you can fight these things by continuing to expand your brain and do as many things as possible. But in the um, late 1990s, I was going to be the head coach of the U.S. World Games team in uh, Brazil, and I bought a uh, tape on uh, how to learn Portuguese, how to speak Portuguese, and I played it on the compact uh, disc player every every day on the way to grade school, taking our daughter. And at the end of six weeks, she was fluent, and I could say hello. <laughs> that was it. It 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 wasn't that I wasn't trying as hard. Uh, so ten thousand hours would I have learned the language? Probably. Would I have been an expert? No way. You know, and, and Greg Colvin has the book that um, uh, talent is overrated. It's, I, I think that title's misplaced. Uh, talent isn't overrated. You certainly need to understand skill, and you need to understand context of where something is happening. So when you're looking for a leader or you're looking for someone to throw a baseball, um, it matters where it's taking place. It matters what culture they're going into. But there are some things, if you have not done them by a certain point in your life, um, you're not going to be great at. Ironically or, or not, golf is not one of them. Golf, you can pick up at 20 years old and become proficient at it. And there are golfers in the Hall of Fame, the professional Hall of Fame, who never started playing until their early 20s. And the reason is the ball doesn't move. Golf is about posture. And you can Hmm. learn posture, assuming that you have athletic coordination and, and other things know how to load your hips and get into extension. But the ball doesn't move. If golf was a game where someone threw the ball to you and you had to swing the club, no one would be in the Hall of Fame who picked up the game in their 20s. 
this is a great stopping point. We're going to break for another commercial. And when we come back, I'm going to ask Terry to talk about some of the people who mentored him. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. When people are making a significant impact, they're engaged, motivated, and excited. They love what they do. When those people work for you, you get results. Results matter, and people drive results. But how do you recognize those people? At Talent Plus, we've assessed millions of people over decades using our rigorous science to predict successful on-the-job performance and cultural fit with an organization's mission, vision, and values. Our online assessments and person-to-person interviews not only identify talents, but uncover a roadmap for success from a person's first day on the job to the day they retire. When people celebrate their talents, use them daily and think about how to lead with their strengths. They help their companies grow, produce, and innovate. Want to learn more about empowering your people to help you do great things? Visit us today at www.talentplus.com. Talent Plus, where science meets talent, where people drive results. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com We're back with Terry Pettit. Terry, I'd like to switch our focus here and ask you to talk about some of the mentors you remember who've had a great impact on your life. My, my father would be the first one. My fa- I come from a coaching family. My father was a, a baseball coach up until his 70s. Um, he died last year at 93, but he was a very innovative teacher. Um, Paul Keller, who taught a course called Language and Thought at Manchester College. It was a, it was a great course for learning how to think, learning how to do critical thinking. Um, mentors that I've never met, Warren Bennis. I've probably read every book Warren Bennis ever wrote on leadership, but the one that impacted me the most is a book called um, Organizing Genius, The Secrets of Creative Collaboration. And it's really about great teams. And uh, by teams, he means people that develop the Blackbird fighter. Um, he, he, he talks about a theater troupe. He talks about um, organizations that come together that are primarily collaborative, where the leader doesn't, doesn't know much about many of the things that are taking place, doesn't know more than the team he assembles. Um, One of the things that struck me about the teams he describes in that book is for many, if not all of the members of all the teams, those experiences were once-in-a-lifetime experiences, the way the, the team culture was and so forth and what they got out of it. Have you had any experiences the equivalent of what Bennis describes in that book? Well, sure. Uh, um, sure. Uh, 
you know, Nebraska's in position now to, they're going to try and, and win a consecutive national championship in volleyball. But one thing John Cook knows, and to some degree the players know, but that the, the public doesn't quite get, is even if every player had been there the year before, it's, it's like summiting a mountain, but you're coming up a different route because the expectations of players change, they can change physically, the competition can change. So anytime you risk something, uh, and I, I really don't think that the moments that Bennis is talking about don't happen if you're not willing to take tremendous risk. And, uh, uh, you know, not necessarily life or death risk, but it takes courage to say, I am going to be extraordinary at this. Um, and some people do it, and when they do it, we get upset with them. Phil Mickelson does it, and he has to back it up. Um, but you, you can't go anywhere, in my opinion. The, the first step in doing something extraordinary is having the courage to say, this is what we're going to do. Otherwise, you don't have a map. You, you know, it's... it's we, we we may go in a straight line for a little ways, but more realistically, we're probably going to attack. We're going to have to come around it the other way. The target may shift slightly, but nothing happens until there's action. It's um, great things happen with action, not necessarily ideas. Um, uh, a mentor that uh, I met and talked with a couple times certainly was uh, Don Clifton and, and Soar with Your Strengths. When I read that book, I'd probably been coaching 15 years, and I thought, this is the first time I've ever read anything that describes the way I think. And I was never interested in recruiting good all-around players. I was never interested in having good all-around assistant coaches. I, I had to see that they could do something at an extraordinary level. And we'd figure out later on how to make that part of the culture or part of the team. And I think you're more likely to do something wonderful um, if that's the way you approach it. Uh, or, or at least, the, you know, anecdotally, that's the, that's the feeling that, that I had. With the first book that I wrote, um, Talent in the Secret Life of Teams, before I wrote it, I sent out the publicity on it. In other words, I said, "Wow, this book's coming out December 1st. Now, I'd been writing for years, so it, it wasn't like I didn't have anything. But, but, but I, I laid out the outline the day after I said, this is what's going to happen. And it, so that was the action plan saying that I'm going to do this publicly uh, gave me the structure to go ahead and say, well, Pettit, you better get this done. You better go do this. And, and you know, writing, good writing, writing doesn't happen until you do bad writing. I mean, you, you, have, to, you have to start writing before you get to really good stuff, stuff that you hadn't even thought, thought much about before. Um, so, you know, you can tell from my conversation, I come from a liberal arts background, and, 
you know, my graduate works in poetry and creative writing. I still write poetry. I still think about those things. And um, people say, well, how does that help you with coaching? And I said, it's a tremendous background because writing poetry is about patterns. Um, it's patterns in rhythm. It's patterns in subject matter. There's patterns in how people end poems. And so the 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 pattern there's there's patterns in scouting a team there's tendencies that you learn um, the other day I was looking at the um, computerized stats for a team and I just glanced at it and I saw a player that was averaging one and a half kills per game when the season before she was averaging three kills per game and was the dominant player on the team. I said, something's wrong. There's physically something wrong here because she's not getting set. And so I called the coach, and the coach said, you're the first person who's noticed. You know, this person, this person has a strange, strange shoulder. Hmm. And, and uh, you know, people, we, people tend to look for patterns. Coyotes survive by seeing breaks in patterns. There, it's it's the different part of the brain. The left side, the left side of the brain wants to see similarities. The right side of the brain wants to see things that are, that are different. And if you can access both sides of the brain in whatever you're doing, then you're much better off. Um, or, or, or more accurately, you can be more creative. That's terrific. You know, I want to go back to something you mentioned. Uh, earlier in the interview, you said that at one point in time, your concept of your purpose changed and became that you wanted to, and correct me if I'm using the wrong words, that you wanted to uh, develop strong, independent women, that that was the purpose of your coaching and the team. Do, Do I have that right? Yes, and, and what that means is, you know, there, I mean, there's a thousand different ways. There's a million different ways to coach or to lead. But certainly at, in the last several years of my career, I was more interested in developing people, the phrase I always use, that would become their own university, that would become, um, would be motivated to figure out things on their own so that, rather than just give them the answer. Um. So it seems to me that volleyball was a medium for you. It wasn't an end in itself, that winning the games and the titles. You're exactly right. I mean, what I I am really interested in when I walk down the street, you know, if a a dental hygienist or a dentist walks down the street, I imagine they look at the first thing they notice is people's teeth. When I walk down the street, I look at two things. Uh, I notice two things. I notice, uh, I notice talent and I notice leadership. And both of them, both of them are represented by behavior. So if I'm in a grocery store and there's a piece of paper in the aisle and somebody walks past, I look to see whether or not they pick up the paper. Uh, if there's a if I'm on an airplane and 
people are already seated, I look to see, have they placed their coat on the middle seat to prevent somebody from sitting there? Or are, do they see this plane, which is filled with strangers, as still part of their community? That's a leadership decision. Um, so that I'm wired to think about those things. And, and sometimes it's gotten me in trouble. Um, I remember riding with my daughter and three high school kids crossed the street. They'd been, just been to a hamburger joint and they threw their trash on the, on the street, on the side street. I pulled up the car. This is about five years ago. I pulled up the car and I just said, I just said, what are you doing? And the guys looked at me and I said, you know, this is my town. Why, why are you doing that? So I wasn't trying to punish them. I wasn't trying to um, discipline them. What I was saying is that this behavior is not appropriate. Um, this behavior, um, yeah, is 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 not appropriate. This this doesn't help you. It doesn't help me. It doesn't help. And and it may have been that nobody's ever had that conversation with them. Um, the other time uh, there was somebody, an elderly couple was. Take, you know, having trouble backing out, and some young uh, person came up in a car and is honking at them. And I just walked over to the driver's side and said, can't you see this situation? What I'm really talking about is context. Can't you see that this is an elderly couple? They're part of your community. And so if, if you live in a small town and you come up to a stop sign and another car comes up to a stop sign, probably both people will nod for the other person to go first. You know each other. You recognize you're both part of, uh, of something. But if you come up to a, a, a city and you don't know the person, you're, you're more likely thinking of, how can I get to where I want to go first? And, you know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different motivation. So one of the challenges in bringing a team together is to get, them to see a, a larger picture Terry, to, be a, uh, to be a good teammate I, I want to make sure that I get a chance to ask you what you're working on now and talk about your most recent book so please the, tell the, us the most what are you working on is, now uh, the most recent book is a fresh season uh, insights into coaching leadership and volleyball and each chapter's uh, just about a thousand words, and uh, it covers the gamut of things. A lot of it is story oriented. I, I believe in story. One of the chapters is about looking for a former player on the team that uh, was my my first coaching job in 1974, and we can't find her. Nobody can find her. She was the first black athlete to play at the University of North Carolina, and through the years. All these other players have kept in touch and kept in touch with their teammates. And so I, um, I made every effort to find her through all the search engines and whatever, heard rumors about her death, that she went into the military, and um, wrote about it. Well, after I wrote that story, late, early one morning, I get a, I get a, a text in the middle of the night from a, a, a woman named London Hawkins and said, call my mother tomorrow morning at this number. London Hawkins was 
computer savvy, had picked up that I'd written this story on her mom. It turns out her mom had been in in an intelligence for the United States Air Force, could not be on social media, and that's why nobody could find her. And we built a reunion around that. Uh, As a matter of fact, she's being inducted into the Hall of Fame this year. So a a lot of it's personal. Um, uh, I I think people, uh, people would enjoy it, and the easiest way to get it is just Google my name, and, and if you Google Terry Pettit, my website will come up, and, and they can go there to, uh, to get it. I'm continuing to mentor coaches. I'm continuing to present. Um, I'll present uh, later this month uh, for Talent Plus in Boston. Uh, I'm presenting on leadership to another summit in Loveland this week. Um, I'll be speaking on the, uh, at the Final Four in volleyball in Columbus in December on talent. Um, so I still, um, I still am active, um, but it helps if there's a, a great fly fishing stream or uh, a great golf course nearby. Uh, then, then that's the whole package for me. Terrific. Terry, this has been a really valuable and worthwhile conversation, and I want to thank you again for taking the time to come on here and talk about mentoring and coaching and leadership. It's, it's just very educational. Thank you for joining us this week for Mentoring with Larry Sternberg. Please join Larry again next Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific, for another edition of the program on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.